Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ADMS Podcast. Simon Leisha here. Great to have you back, and I'm joined in the flesh by Mr. Jeff Barr. G'day, Jeff. How are you going? Good day, Simon. Great to be here with you. It is awesome to have you here because we are sitting backstage at the Midnight Madness event here at 2018 reInvent. Uh, at a table, I'm trying to do, paint the mental image here, at a table with more recording equipment than I've ever seen because uh, if you've ever listened to the podcast, uh, our listeners know that uh, sophisticated audio equipment is not my bag, but Ben, our sound engineer here in Gen, our media person has done a fantastic job to set us up so that hopefully we can record and capture some of the magic of this background. That's true, and one thing we should also mention, I'm pretty sure as we walked backstage, we walked past more compute power than existed in the entire world in probably <laughs> 1975. Yeah, I think we need to paint the word picture. We're, so we're in this massive cavernous backstage of what is an enormous uh, event space for Midnight Madness with basically a kilometer of stage, it feels like, like massive screens and fun events for people to get involved in and there's a, I saw there was the, the ADBS Ninja jumping around there at one stage and a whole bunch of interesting stuff here. Not to mention a marching band. Yeah, a very noisy marching band that we might capture on later on. So uh, what we thought we would do is try and uh, capture some of the updates that have happened in the week leading into reInvent because obviously we, we expect lots of exciting things for customers during the week of reInvent. But one of the maybe the, the little secrets of AWS for our customers is that so much cool stuff comes out the week prior. Right, and people have actually started calling this pre-invent. And the way I see <laughs> it happening is the teams often have gigantic announcements to make at reInvent, and they need to lay some foundations. They need to get some, some technology in place for the big announcements. And so not, not to discount in, in any way, shape, or form the things that are getting launched before reInvent, but sometimes they need to put something in place to say, we've now got a piece here that we're going to then expand and and go even further with the week of reInvent. Yeah, everything is important. And the funny thing is I've, I've noticed it's often these small yet perfectly formed updates that really make a customer happy, like super happy. And I'm hoping we get a few of those today. So we're going to kind of ramp through a bunch of things that happened since the last update show, which was literally a week ago. <laughs> so uh, we're going to dive into that around some different topic areas. The first one is we're going to talk about CloudFront because it's 10 years since CloudFront launched and they uh, decided to celebrate by launching six new locations, didn't they? A an amazing decade and we're now up to, um, so 100 edge locations, isn't that? Uh, 150. 100, 150, okay, <laughs> me, a mere um, off by 50 error. So <laughs> 150 edge locations. 150 edge locations. So there are some new edge locations in Munich, Tokyo, Rio de Janeiro. Uh, it's pretty exciting. One of the other exciting things I really like is that there is now support for origin failover. So this is a really interesting way to have two origins for your distributions, a primary and a secondary, so that you can serve from the secondary origin if there's a problem with the primary origin. This is pretty important for a lot of people who are trying to build for resiliency at the edge. It definitely is. And I, to me, it's a great example of how we're always listening to customers. And customers say, we want to be able to build global applications. And even though individual parts of AWS are incredibly reliable, they say, we need to absolutely plan for every possible way something can, can go wrong. So let's let's make sure we can have multiple origins spread out across the globe. Yeah, I know there's a few people who wanted that one. And another one I know people will be cheering uh, for is uh, support for WebSockets as well. So WebSockets, super popular for keeping long-lived connections open. And now CloudFront has support for that particular protocol. And bi-directional connections, even more important. Very, very true. It's been a big week for software developers as well. We have so many updates to share. One of the uh, really important things for those people who use 
the Open Java Development Kit, uh, there's a new project called Amazon Coretto, which comes with long-term support, performance enhancements, and security fixes. So if you're uh, an OpenJDK user, this is probably something you'd want to take a quick look at. I really think so, and um, great news for Java developers. Absolutely. Now, a bunch we're just going to rip through really quickly. So uh, AWS X-Ray now has the ability to group traces so you can get a better view of what's going on from a component perspective. Uh, AWS AppSync, which I know is a very popular service, has launched pipeline resolvers, Delta Sync, and Aurora serverless support, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, and uh, our very popular service, AWS Serverless Application Repository, now supports Route 53, SQS, Glue, IAM, Step Functions, and lots, lots more. Uh, but another one of those little ones uh, is around Lambda, Jeff. I think uh, a couple of really interesting updates that the team have done recently. Yeah, we've seen that Lambda doubled the payload size for asynchronous invocations, and that that's now pushed up to 256 kilobytes. It previously was 128. We've added support for Python 3.7, which I know a lot of developers have been asking for as well. Yeah, exactly. It's really, really cool. Uh, also, if you want to do any uh, outbound email, you can do that uh, with Lambda for Workmail now as well. So that integration has taken place. And the other really nice one is that Lambda now supports Kinesis Data Streams Enhanced Fanout and HTTP slash 2. So faster and better streaming, I think we would call it. Always good to see that, that we evolve the individual services and then make them work even better together. Exactly. And uh, one of the things that's really important for developers is the automation of their pipelines. And so AWS Code Pipelines had a lot of uh, updates recently. Do you want to talk about a couple of things we've seen there? Well, we've made it, made it run faster. And one of the, this was actually kind of neat because I don't think we made a really big deal out of this when we launched it. But I started to see some neat feedback on Reddit and on Twitter where people were saying, it seems a bit faster to me. What about you? And the developer said, yeah, it sure seems to be running faster. Uh, what happened? And then we, we finally got the what's new out and we, we confirmed what the developers had been observing for themselves. So it was neat to, to just see that it was not just a theoretical improvement, it was something that was of real value to our developers. Exactly. It really is faster and there are more actions per stage and you can have cross-region actions, which is pretty cool too. And uh, Beanstalk, AWS Elastic Beanstalk now has Node.js 10 support and AWS Amplify now has support for authentication and data access for iOS and Android developers as well. So lots has been going on for developers. But there's been some big stuff happening in the database world, Jeff. Let's talk uh, one of my favorite topics, Amazon Aurora Serverless. Yeah, so we're scaling out serverless to additional regions. We actually made it available in nine more regions. We added, um, let's see, we added Mumbai, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Northern California, uh, Canada, Frankfurt, London, and Paris, which means that Aurora Serverless is available in 14 different regions. And what uh, what if you don't like uh, you know having to you know create these uh, fiddly JDBC ODB connections? Could you just you know query it in the console, perhaps? You absolutely can now <laughs> query them in the console. Great question. I have no idea why you would have even thought to ask that question. <laughs> Some other really cool things is there's now uh, Amazon Aurora uh, has custom endpoints, so you can help with some of your workload management. So you can choose whether you want particular types of workload to go to particular parts of the database. So a good example is analytics versus transactional. We know how well those two are bedfellows. They don't go well together, exactly. do they? <laughs> and there's also a new data API, speaking of Amazon Aurora Serverless, which is a direct API you can call uh, from your applications. So rather than having to use SQL-based protocols, you can actually execute things directly uh, through the API. It's pretty 
this is a pretty amazing update and something we'll dive deep on in a future podcast. It is, and I've seen people really excited about the idea that this is a great match for their Lambda functions because they don't have to worry about connections, connection pooling, long-running connections. They can just use the data API and be, make these direct connections to Aurora. Exactly. Now, that's in beta at the moment, so I'd expect it to iterate pretty quick, and I know the team definitely wants to get a lot of feedback from the developer community on what that should look like. Uh, Jeff, a couple of quick uh, support updates in terms of RDS uh, instance types. Sure. So the, the R5 instance types are the, the newest version of the memory, inten memory intensive or memory optimized instances. So Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports R5, as does Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, also, if you're doing uh, automated backups, which you probably should be doing when you're using RDS, uh, you can now keep them after you have deleted your database as well. So one of those nice little uh, changes that a lot of customers have wanted. Also, RDS for PostgreSQL now supports outbound network access using custom DNS servers, so you can do more configuration than ever before. Now, uh, this next one, Jeff, uh, let's move on to Amazon Redshift. This, this is pretty big, this one. Yeah, so it used to actually take a considerable amount of time, and it was tens of minutes and apparently sometimes an hour or more to resize a Redshift cluster because of the massive amount of data involved. And customers came and they said, we, we really want to be able to scale up and scale our clusters down a lot more quickly. So now they can actually do that in just a matter of minutes. And I, I've seen some great internal feedback already that customers are making incredibly good use of this ability to effectively build these elastic clusters in Redshift. And there's actually a, an online tech talk with some best practices around that as well that will be really, really useful. Now, Redshift has done a few other really interesting things. Uh, there's now deferred maintenance and also advanced event notifications. So you can understand what's going on in your cluster well beforehand. This is really suited for large enterprises that may still be working with uh, longer approval processes and change management approach, approaches. This can really help. Now, Elasticsearch has done a whole lot of stuff. Uh, Self-service updates for domains, so you can do your own updates whenever you need to. Uh, more detailed cluster health modeling. I'm moving these through really quickly because there's some good ones that we want to get to. Uh, not saying that these aren't good, these are just small little improvements. So for example, uh, Elasticash for Redis now has auto failover and backup restore support for T2 nodes, really useful if you're in a developer environment. But Jeff, I'm going to let you have the big kahuna here. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we've we've upped the maximum number of nodes per cluster for Elasticash for Redis, and you can now have 250 nodes and 250 shards. This multiplies out to 16.6 .6 times more memory. And if you, if you go out to the maximum number of shards at the maximum size, you can build a in Elastic Hash for Redis cluster with 170.6 terabytes that's of memory. That's a lot of terabytes, isn't it? Sure and that's, is. that's a big it's jump. terabyte fighting. Terabyte, <laughs> we could say. It's a big jump too because the previous limit was 15. So 15 to 250, not a, not a shabby jump there. And another quick update on the uh, Elastic Cache side is Memcache 1.5 is now available as well. So if you're looking for that version that now has uh, availability with a whole bunch of updates. Also, Amazon DynamoDB now encrypts all customers' data at rest automatically. So you don't have to do anything to worry about making that happen. And speaking of encryption, Amazon Neptune. Uh, it now supports HTTPS for encrypted client connections as well. Yeah, a good point here is that we're we're never satisfied. We're always looking for additional ways to protect customer information. Yeah, exactly. And we want to make encryption easy and not performance degra degrading, if that's a word. Uh, I know when I speak to a lot of customers, particularly those who are new to cloud, they're used to an environment where if they tried to implement encryption in their environment, it typically had a 10 to 30% performance overhead, and now we're learning how to manage keys, et cetera. 
Whereas in the cloud world, it's literally a checkbox. Exactly. And so another quick thing on the database side, the AWS Database Migration Service now lets you replicate data to the Elasticsearch service, which is pretty handy now that we have, uh, what was it, 170 terabytes of data. Point six. <laughs> and, uh, and we also now support uh, replicating into Amazon Kinesis data streams as well. So let's move on from database to compute. And there have been some pretty significant updates that are going to make customers' life so much easier. Yeah, predictive scaling for EC2 is really, really cool. Had a great time putting the blog post together for this. The idea is that it's going to, predictive scaling is going to watch the CloudWatch metrics of your choice. It's going to apply machine learning to the, the trends and the patterns that it sees in your usage. It's going to look effectively at to, for daily and weekly trends and spikes. And it's going to then put a scaling plan into place so that if, if something, if let's say every Saturday afternoon your site gets really busy, the predictive scaling is going to, after a week or two's worth of data, predict that incoming traffic and make sure that when it comes in that you've got your site pre-scaled and ready to handle it. It's pretty exciting because it really creates that link between you. You could do reactive scaling based on metrics, which meant you were kind of a little bit behind, but you got up to speed pretty quick. You could do scheduled scaling if you knew when you needed to scale up. This is kind of the best of both worlds, isn't it? It, it sure is. Now, I should just add a bit of color. Jeff and I were both sort of sitting here having this conversation, and someone in a 10-gallon hat just walked past who looked famous, but I don't quite know who it oh. is. And I'm, I'm sort of looking, asking to Ben, our, our audio guy, to, to give me some insight here, but he's, he's shaking his head. <laughs> he I looked famous, we, didn't he? Neither of us have had enough sleep, and I think we're hallucinating. <laughs> okay, now speaking of uh, autoscaling and pretty cool blogs you put together, you put one together about EC2 autoscaling groups with multiple instance types and purchase options. And this has been one that customers have asked for for a little while. I, I've gotten some great feedback on this, and it's a really neat way to separate the... <coughs> The, uh, the exact amount of resources that you need from the precise way that those resources are, are put into production. You, you basically set up your fleet and you say, this is how much I need, and you, you then let the fleet take care of the mixing and the matching, and it's going to pick the most economical set of available instances to satisfy your, your, your needs. It's amazing how the, the choices are just increasing, but increased choice with a bit of control as well. So you don't have things just going awry really quickly, you can, you can get up and running pretty fast. Exactly. So whilst we're talking autoscaling, there's a, we're also watching the live feed of what's going on on the Midnight Madness stage. And after Midnight Madness finishes, we will be interviewing the uh, main announcers on, the, on that particular program. But at the moment, if you can hear some banging in the background, they're actually going for the world record of air drumming. And I'm seeing a lot of glow stick drum sticks. And I think, is there a record? Jeff? I don't know. <laughs> Do we have it? <laughs> it must be sufficiently obscure that I've certainly not heard of it. Well, there's, I'm seeing some really enthusiastic style there. I think we've all had that air drum moment. <laughs> so, uh, it certainly helped me get through all my reInvent blogging. <laughs> I'm sure. Actually, I was going to make the point that I'm pretty sure since the last time I saw you, your fingers are half an inch shorter mm. than they were. <laughs> <laughs> They're certainly more calloused. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So a couple more updates on the compute side of things. So you can now synchronously provision your instances with EC2 Fleet. So this is a nice way to change the uh, interaction process where you need that synchronous uh, provisioning. You, you want to know that something is available once that call's finished. Also, there's a renaming as well. Uh, our old friends, the EC2 Elastic GPUs, they're not called that anymore. No, they're now Amazon Elastic Graphics. The, the same cool functionality, the ability for you to basically, when you launch an instance, you can say, I need a GPU attached to it. Fantastic. And there's also been a few uh, console updates you'll see throughout the, uh, the, the update. One of them is for uh, fleet recommendations for EC2 spot consoles, so that workflow is a lot easier. 
Also, the server migration service now supports resuming failed replication jobs. And all- hourly replication intervals. That's right, exactly. So it's giving us some, some good benefit there. And uh, also, there's uh, some interesting updates on the Edge side of things. So AWS Snowball Edge uh, had a bunch of updates, Jeff. Yeah, so one of the things that we've done with, with Snowball Edge, we've added a new option called the Snowball Edge Compute Optimized and the Snowball Edge Compute Optimized with GPU. Both of these give our customers the ability to do more processing out of the edge. There, there's both more compute power and more memory available so that you can, you can launch more instances within the Snowball Edge devices. So some of them are the, the original models, you can think of those as storage optimized and the newer ones are compute optimized. And those are currently available in US East North Virginia. You've got Oregon, North California, Ireland, and US West GovCloud at this point. Of course, there'll be more to come as well. Also, some updates around Batch as well, Jeff. That's right. So, AWS Batch now supports multi-node parallel jobs. So, it gives you some more flexibility when you're running multiple EC2 instances. And AWS Batch also supports the use of the AMD Epic processors. Yeah, I know a lot of people wanted to get access to those. Also, one uh, new tool that's available is something called AWS Parallel Cluster. And this is a fully supported and maintained open source cluster management tool that makes it really easy for anyone who's doing HPC type work to manage really, really big clusters, which is pretty nice. I think we're witnessing history in the making here on the live stream. It looks like there's an <laughs> awful lot of air drumming going on. There is a lot, and there's a lot of internal drummers who are, who are coming out. Now, we've talked a bit about EC2. Let's, uh, let's talk containers, Jeff. What do we got? All right, so Amazon ECS, we've updated it so you've got the ability to pass in two additional Docker flags in your task definition. Those are the, the PID mode, so you can share a process ID across several different containers. And then the IPC mode, so you can share any your inner process communication namespace across multiple containers. And, and you know, there's one listener right now who will be air drumming because that's the feature they've been waiting for. I sure hope so. <laughs> and also some tagging now for ECS and AWS Fargate as well. Tagging. You is know, also one very thing important. I noticed, Simon, in all my work getting ready for reInvent mm. is that um, very quietly, I think, over the last six months or a year, we've made almost every service and every resource type implement tagging. Mm. And I, I, what I do often as I'm putting together all the blog posts is I'll launch some different instances and create some volumes and create all different kinds of new resources. I noticed that pretty much everything supports tagging. And so what I did is I was very, very consistent. I created a tag called blog on everything new. I used the name of the blog post as the tag value. And in my post reinvent cleanup that I'll do next week, I'll be able to very, very easily find all those resources, regardless of the region and regardless of the resource type. So I really appreciate all the hard work that's gone into making tagging ubiquitous. Yeah, that is very good advice. In fact, one of the things you should think about before you start your project is, what is my tagging strategy? Because how am I going to find this stuff later on? That's right. So let's talk machine learning. And there have been a whole bunch of updates for the machine learning uh, services. And the SageMaker team are always doing lots of uh, interesting stuff for our customers because I know a lot of customers are loving using Amazon SageMaker. Yeah, and I think our customers are way ahead of me because every time I I look at machine learning, I'm actually pretty jealous of all the cool stuff that they're doing (laughs) and just wish that I was smart enough and had the time to to really dive into all the the things you're able to do. They get all the toys. So a few quick updates. You can now monitor and visualize your training metrics for your models. So you can use that through CloudWatch, which is nice. It's also now integrated with Apache Airflow as well. So you can build your workflows if that's something you'd like to use. Uh, There's also some enhancements to the built-in TensorFlow and Chainer containers as well. Uh, This is a space that evolves so quick, Jeff, that if they're not updating, it just lags behind too fast. That's right. 
and some great new updates on the Translate side. Yes, and in fact, I remember covering this in a video just a couple weeks ago. So Amazon Translate now supports eight new languages. And in the past, when our customers were doing Translate between language pairs, they often had to go through English as an intermediate language. And just like if you know that game of telephone, Sometimes you lose a little bit when you do a successive ser a series of translations. I think the word you're looking for is purple monkey dishwasher. That would exactly <laughs> be the, the translation. So with Translate now supports 281 language pairs, meaning that the odds are that the... That's actually 281 I mean, more language pairs than before. That's right. So we're now 417 total. 417 total. So the... Whatever source and whatever destination, odds are that you can go directly from that source to that destination without having to go through uh, through English in the middle. And there are also some new languages. There's Danish, Dutch, Finnish, Hebrew, Indonesian, Korean, Polish, and Swedish, which is pretty exciting. Uh, SageMaker also has a couple of other quick updates that I neglected to mention. It now supports Object2 VEC and IP Insights, which are two new built-in algorithms, which if you've been waiting for them, you'll be excited. If you have no idea what I just said, that's okay too. You're even further behind. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling we like to get. Um, and speaking of warm, we uh, the Amazon SageMaker automatic model tuning now supports warm start Ooh, of hyperparameter tuning. That tune was jobs. a smooth transition. There. Did you like that? Great. That's yes. good. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, actually, here's another one that you uh, blogged extensively about, which was the Amazon Comprehend, and it has custom classification. Yeah, this was actually probably the first time I got a chance to do something really fun with machine learning all year. Not not for lack of opportunities, but just lack of time to do it. And the custom classification feature, the team gave me this, this really neat file that was basically a label of a whole bunch of, um, looked like chat room messages. And they had been carefully labeled as either clean or not so clean messages. I used that custom classification to build a to, to build a model. And then after I'd done that, which was pretty easy to do going through the console, just a, a couple clicks and set up and, and run the job. After I'd done that, I built a model that when given new chat room messages could easily tell me if they were clean messages or if they had words that are generally best not, uh, not said in public. Well, and there's always the debate of which are the words that can't be said in public, aren't there? So this class custom classifier means you can choose those words. The, the funny thing is when I, I put the spreadsheet in the blog post, I had to blur out the entire data set <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't want to take any possible chance of offending anybody with all the interesting stuff on my screen. It's like one big blurred screenshot. Yes. <laughs> Another uh, thing related to text is Amazon Transcribe now supports real time, real time, real time transcriptions. I'm, I'm, I've got the worrying feeling, Jeff, that uh, our jobs are at risk here because I think the machines will be translating better than I'm doing at the moment. Um, it wouldn't wouldn't be tough for, <laughs> for me personally. <laughs> so now instead of doing a uh, asynchronous call to transcribe, you can now call it in real time, and this is really useful for people who are doing real time transcription. So broadcasting and other real time events can be covered. So. For example, the live stream we're watching here could probably have been real-time transcribed as well. I'm, I'm sure it could. And look, now Amazon Transcribe actually does speech-to-text for British English, Australian English, and Canadian French. So you, you have actually been replaced. I have been replaced. And all I can say is bonza and beauty, mate. And thanks for that right, copper. I, I will actually use Comprehend <laughs> to figure out what you just said. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in what it will translate that to as well. Uh, okay, let's talk uh, management and cost control. And so there are a whole bunch of really new dashboards for monitoring your resources in CloudWatch now. Yeah, this one actually took me by surprise. And the funny thing is, they, the team didn't ask me to put a blog post together for it. And they just sent me a, a quick chime message and said, hey, if, take a look at this. You might find it interesting. I scrolled through it quickly, clicked around a bit and said, wow, this is actually pretty neat. And I've been experimenting with a new social media model. And 
kind of an intermediate step between just a little tweet and a full blog post. I do a, a little tweet storm, so I'll take four or five screenshots. I'll, I'll write up four or five tweets, and I did a neat, neat little tweet storm for the automatic dashboards to show customers what that's all about. But one of the, the neatest things is that the automatic dashboards, you don't have to spend any time designing your dashboard. You simply go to the menu, and there it is. There's a, an overview dashboard that gives you really a great set of metrics across a whole bunch of your, your different AWS services. And then there's an automatic dashboard for each of the different AWS services that pulls together all the metrics for for all of your resources of that service type within a region. And I, there's also a variant that seemed to be driven by, by tags or another kind of grouping. I didn't get a chance to explore that part fully. So it's a pretty powerful thing that if you're living in the uh, CloudWatch world, you probably want to investigate. The other thing that I know a lot of people were excited was is that you could have metric math expressions in your CloudWatch metrics. Well, now you can alarm off those as well, which is pretty cool. So in the live stream at the moment, I think they're talking about the Tatonka challenge. I don't think I've ever done Tatonka. Which is I've, the I've done Tatanka. It's I've, chicken I've eating, chicken, chicken yes. wing eating. I, I'm a Tatanka pla Platinum Award winner. How, what was your record? I believe to get platinum, you have to eat 30 regular wings and then 10 of what are called pasty wings. Um, pasty wings are regular wings that have been allowed to cool and they're dragged through all the drippings left oh. by older wings. They're not super pleasant, but they're really tasty. <laughs> That sounds so unappetizing, I can't begin to say. Uh, numbers 38, 39, and 40 are not the tastiest. <laughs> and uh, how long was it till you ate again after that particular meal? Uh, it was well over a decade ago that I had my last Tatanka experience, now that I think about it. Probably tells you all you need to know about yes. that experience. <laughs> so some other updates. There have been some usability improvements in the AWS Management Console, and uh, I know it's been uh, challenging for many of our presenters at reInvent as the console is constantly updating, so putting your slides together can be tricky. <laughs> Indeed they can, and I, I actually noticed a, late last week, suddenly I opened up the console, and it was a whole lot better, and there was a different font, and I kind of slapped my forehead a bit and said, oh no, it's better. Just <laughs> invalidate every one of the screenshots in my 38 blog posts, and yeah. luckily it didn't. <laughs> Another thing that's new in uh, AWS Systems Manager is AWS Systems Manager Distributor. And this is a new feature that lets you securely store and distribute your software packages. So things like agents, et cetera, into your accounts, which is pretty nice that this, this service is really bringing a lot of value to our customers. And also there's been a change to AWS Config, Jeff. Yeah, so AWS Config, you can now actually have it run across multiple accounts and multiple regions, and you can pull all of your resource configuration data from all the, those different sources into a single instance of AWS Config. So if you're using organizations or if you're using a whole bunch of different AWS accounts, you've, you've, you can now get this, this global comprehensive view of, of what you are, your configuration changes. And speaking of comprehensive view, AWS CloudTrail uh, now supports AWS organizations as well. So if there are changes happening in your organizations, you can track that through CloudTrail. The AWS Service Catalog Connector now uh, supports ServiceNow as well. So there's some additional ServiceNow capability. And the AWS Systems Manager Automation now also supports multi-account and multi-region actions. There's a great pattern here. There's yeah. a great pattern of running across multiple accounts, running across multiple regions, making sure that we are really well set up for our most sophisticated customers that are doing incredibly large-scale, complicated things with AWS. Exactly. And one of the, uh, the nice things that was announced uh, just a few weeks ago was the uh, AWS CloudFormation Stack Drift Detection. And wouldn't it make nothing but sense if AWS Config could use that? It, it sure would. And in fact, we just launched a new AWS Config rule. So what you can do is you can have a config check that says, is my CloudFormation stack still in conformance with the way I launched it, or has it drifted? 
It's very nice. Uh, on the security side, AWS Secrets Manager client-side caching library are now available to have improved performance. So this is a nice thing if you're a Secrets Manager user. Also, if you're a PowerShell user, you can now use AWS Systems Manager and PowerShell DSC as well, which is very nice. You can also tag your secrets and configure rotation of secrets from the Secret Manager console as well. But let's talk a bit about cost control. Are we reviewing a year's worth of launches? I know. This is ridiculous, isn't it? This is why I sort of was sitting back and thought, I don't have to do an update uh, episode because I did one last Monday. And uh, then I looked at the list and thought, it would just not be fair. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about cost control. There's been some, uh, some new uh, updates to the Cost Explorer console. Yeah, so the, the Cost Explorer console has been updated. There's some brand new summary dashboards. There, there's a, a really neat mechanism that now identifies spend and, and uses trends. It's been cleaned up. It's made simpler, designed to really work well for customers of all sizes and levels of expertise. That's very nice. And the AWS cost and usage reports now also include Amazon Athena integration and Amazon Parquet output and report overwrite, which is very nice. I know I've been using Athena for a while for a lot of my reporting and uh, I'm, I'm liking it a lot. Uh, a big one on the network side is uh, there's now support for DNS resolution over inter-region VPC peering. So now if you're trying to resolve uh, one VPC to another VPC using your inter-region connection, you can, which is pretty nice. Now, this is a big deal for customers that will put together a VPC and they'll put some shared services in a, in often a central VPC. Mm -hmm. And they'd like the, the other VPCs to be able to locate those shared services by name rather than by IP address. It's very important. And, and just giving, a, 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 again, the, uh, the word picture of what we're seeing. So we're seeing on the live stream people sitting at long benches eating chicken wings and I think there's the running scoreboard up there and I'm seeing numbers like 24 is that 24 that would have to be 24 wings yeah it's pretty scary oh that, that's child's play <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not I'm not feeling hungry mm. at the moment so that's probably what it is um, some other quick updates uh, secret support for Amazon Elastic Container Service as well also, SNS, our old friend SNS now has server-side encryption, which is kind of neat. And, uh, oh, another multi-account, a multi-regency, a region one. All right, for AWS Systems Manager, now supports multi-account, multi-region inventory view. And uh, speaking of your love for tags, Jeff. Manage your IAM users and roles using tags. And, and again, as I was putting together blog posts, I was very, very generous with tags, and it hopefully should make cleaning up everything afterward a whole lot easier next week. It sounds like there's a blog post in your use of tags, if I... They've actually banned me from writing any blog posts for December, so we'll see. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you could have a guest blog post, I don't know. Mm. Um, something else you can now do is you can analyze your budget performance using the AWS Budgets History functionality, so you can now see your budget performance over the previous 12 months. Uh, one thing I find with budgets, Jeff, is there's no point setting a budget if you're not checking your budget. Well, except you actually can get alarms with your budgets as well. That's and true. I had, as when I was announcing this feature, I would I pulled up the the page and I, I looked at my budget history and I set a budget of a thousand dollars of EC2 for the month and I got a nice alert about mid month when I was at the eight hundred dollar level and it said you're going to spend more than a thousand dollars this month. Can you share with us what your spent has been this month? Do you know? I haven't had a chance to look. <laughs> You're not alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you uh, use the AWS console mobile application, there's a new iOS version as well. So some, uh, some new capabilities and extra resources that you can manage through those. All righty. How are we tracking? All right. Tracking I think okay. we're just going right along. We've got somebody in a, in a referee's uh, shirt up here on the screen now, apparently refereeing chicken wings or... How, what or was that air drumming? I'm not sure. 
uh, it could be because I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out how you get qualified to be a referee of either chicken wing eating or air drumming. Like, is, is there a course ah, you do? So, so in the finest Amazon tradition, there is a very detailed spec for what constitutes a <laughs> properly eaten chicken wing. You do not actually get to be a judge until you've been a consumer oh. for quite a, quite a number of events. And um, I, I've watched the judges, and they will pick through the partially eaten wings and tell you you haven't quite cleaned off those wings well enough to qualify. Gee, that as sounds like such eaten. a glamorous job. It is, but somebody's <laughs> got to do it. You, you gotta, you've got to insist on the highest standards, as we say. This is very true. Speaking of insisting on those higher standards, let's, let's hit some other useful things that have happened for our customers. Uh, one that I know a lot of customers have, uh, have talked about uh, wanting an easier way to do is to block public access with their Amazon S3 buckets. Now, it's fair to point out that when you create an S3 bucket, it's private by default in the first place. It, it sure is, and it always has been. And the, the thing that happens, I think, is that it's so easy to upload data S3. It's so easy to get a, a URL for an object. And the next thing is, say, oh, I, I need to share that with my colleague. And I need to make another department ex- get access to this data. And you should put in a little bit more time to figure out roles and permissions and so forth. And then you think, oh, I'll just make it public for a little bit. Nobody will find out. And uh, that's not a healthy way to, to protect your data. So what we've done is we've introduced the, the block public access feature. And you can run this on a bucket. And you can block existing access, you can block new access, and you can set it up at the account level. And you, you can be very confident that once you set it up at the account level, that even with the best of intent, that no one else within the account or an IAM user can, can put a more generous level of permission than what you've put in at the account level. And that's really the thing. It, it, uh, it enforces that policy base, that organization policy. So if an organization says, for this account, there is never any reason for any of these buckets or objects to be public, the policy basis overrides anything you may do as an IAM user or anything else. You can't, you can't override that. That's right. So it, it really sets the maximum level of, of, of privilege. Absolutely. So a couple of other um, cool things or a few other cool things. Two would be underselling it. Uh, AWS Storage Gateway Virtual Tape Library now has support for IBM Spectrum Protect, which uh, the older ones amongst us would recognize as Tivoli Storage Manager. Mm. Uh, You must be older than me then. (laughs) I've actually used that piece of software. Um, Plus a bunch of other things like uh, Bakula Enterprise Edition 10. Uh, We've got, uh, what else here? I'm just looking at my list here. Ah, Veritas Net Backup 8. I used to work at Veritas, so it's very close to my heart. Backup Exec 20. Scary that it's that big these days. Uh, Data Protection Manager 2016 and Quest Net Vault Backup 11 and 12. Basically, you do not need to run a physical light tape library anymore, which is good. Good. Uh, AppStream. Now, you're a Workspaces user, aren't you? I I am a Workspaces user. But there's been some improvements to AppStream 2.0. You can now have two monitors, dual monitors and USB peripherals through a Windows client as well. Uh, but you're also a Workspaces user, so you'll be excited that there is now self-service management. Right. So I've been, I think I've been 100% on Workspaces for close to four years now. I, I don't have a desktop. I, my laptop is really nothing more than a, a Workspaces client. And the newest launch, we've, we've made it easier for our, the Workspaces users to do some self-service management. Instead of going to IT and asking to do a reboot or to change the size of their instance or change the amount of storage they have, they can all do that in a self-service fashion from the Workspaces client without getting their, their IT folks involved. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The Workspaces team have also improved the bring-your-own-license automation for Windows desktops as well, which will make life a lot easier. And also some other bits and bobs. Um, one of the things I liked was that there's a, now an integration between Amazon Kinesis Video Streams and Amazon SageMaker. 
So now we can do real-time video and analytics, which is pretty nice. I, I think there's a lot of cool things people are going to be able to build with that. Yeah, it's a, one of those real integrations that people much smarter than me are going to use. Similar that, to the uh, Amazon EMR, now has EMR Notebooks, which is a managed analytics environment based on Jupyter Notebooks, which, of course, are used also in SageMaker. SageMaker. Yeah, so clearly the community that uh, works in this space love their Jupyter Notebooks, and this means you can have them in a managed environment, but with the EMR capabilities that uh, many people use a lot. And uh, we've got a couple of other uh, customer contact ones. Jeff, do you want to fill us in All on those right. ones? So uh, Amazon Connect lets our customers build basically uh, voice response systems and plug those into different parts of AWS. There's now what's called contact flow looping so that you can actually, if you have a, a challenging situation where the customer might have to try a couple times to get the input just right, you, and you have to verify or validate that data, maybe a phone number, a credit card number, something like that, you can put a looping block in, in your logic to make it easier to, to repeat that question a couple times till the customer gets the answer just, just perfect. Because let's face it, we never get it right the first time. Never do. <laughs> also, Amazon Pinpoint, which is a great customer engagement uh, capability, you can now deliver voice messages to your users in over 200 countries. So this is using a text-to-speech and then delivering across the globe. Sounds good. <laughs> we will find out. Okay, on the AO, AWS IoT side, the AWS IoT device management now makes it easier to index your fleets and to run jobs against uh, against all the devices in those fleets. Yeah, and these fleets are getting large these days. I'm seeing customers with hundreds of thousands and millions. So uh, tagging is important. And guess what they've done? Guess what? <laughs> AWS IoT now supports resource tagging. It's like, uh, is there, a, is there a, uh, a little sticker that people can get that, uh, you know, I tag so that Jeff can tag? <laughs> I, I could have one made. I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, there's a really new uh, cool quick start with for the uh, AWS IoT camera connector as well. This gets you up and going in about five minutes and lets you see some cool things you can do with IoT and video as well. Uh, also, there is now a new Route 53 resolver capability, which really helps you integrate your on-premises DNS and your VPC-based DNS. So what this one really lets you do is conditionally forward your DNS request from your VPC to an on-premises DNS resolver. And this means that you don't have to create sort of this replica DNS environment in your cloud environment to use your on-premises environment. It also makes it really easy to integrate a lot of the other services too. Okay. So this is kind of connective tissue, if you like, on the DNS side. And something that definitely is worth reading the documentation if you're a Route 53 user, just to understand how this can simplify your networking environment. And now let's rip through a few more of the, uh, the last-minute updates we want to share. So there's now enhanced forecasting available in the AWS Cost Explorer. So you can kind of see what's likely to happen in your future if your current behavior continues from a spend perspective. Uh, the AWS Elemental Media Package now has live channel archive window for 14 days. So you're storing more information. So it's kind of like a, a DVR catch-up, but at a monumental right. scale. And instead of just the old three days, it's now 14 days. Exactly, and lucky last, uh, you know, security is always super important for our customers. So uh, why don't you do the last yeah, update? We, to we've that? added three new threat detections to Amazon Guard Duty. Um, two of those look for various things re related to suspicious Tor network activity, and the third one looks for suspicious-looking cryptocurrency mining, which you probably don't want to be doing on your EC2 instances. And this is a service that I strongly recommend all customers switch on. And the nice thing is, is that there is a 30-day free trial. So you, you literally, it's one click in the management console, and you can see for 30 days whether this makes sense in your environment. The other nice thing is it's super low cost as well. 
it's typically you know around one percent of people's bills in in terms of what I see, but it just gives you that proactive protection of your environment in a really useful way that you can action and showcase to your own stakeholders as well. Absolutely. So Jeff, uh, that's the update roundup before we move into the uh, the big announcement of Midnight Madness, which we will do shortly once do you our think we guests. We covered enough things. <laughs> I don't know. Do you want me to add a few more? We could go invent some things. <laughs> so what are we seeing? Let's just quickly cover the live stream before we take a break. So we're seeing them on the live stream. I think they're, they're doing a, a – this looks like a Lexbot example that I'm seeing here. I'm trying to figure out what they're doing, but I'm failing miserably. It's going to be really hard for us to actually translate <laughs> what we see that we don't understand into sounds that we don't understand. Yeah, fair enough. So it's a, it's a big night. There are literally – thousands and thousands of people here it was pretty amazing we were walking to the venue we're walking past and unfortunately when you're walking next to a gentleman who has purple hair as mr jeff bard does <laughs> you do get the odd yelling out which is pretty cool so uh so we'll be back shortly with that uh, with our um main announcement of the midnight madness evening stay tuned for part two so it's midnight, we have the drum roll going. Bill Vass is on stage, he's been telling us about connected devices and drones and robotic kivas and other cool things. And he has the first announcement of reInvent to share with us. And the clock is ticking clock down. Is ticking. We got five, five, four, three, two, one, boom. AWS Robomaker. Now, this is a service, Jeff. Would you have got your hands on this before the rest of us? Well, I certainly did, Simon. Um, the idea here is you can actually model your robot. You use this really cool open source simulator called Gazebo. You build an environmental simulation for your robot. You launch a simulation job inside RoboMaker. You can watch the robot in its traverses its 3D environment. You can see all kinds of cool metrics. What else can you do? You can you can literally see from the robot's eye view what's going on. And um, from there, your, your robot code actually makes use of a robot operating system called ROS, which we've got some new modules that plug into ROS that can report metrics up to CloudWatch. You, your robot can do vision. It can do lots of stuff. Yeah, it can do lots and lots of don't, stuff. Don't give it all away, Jeff, because uh, coming up right next is going to be a deep dive with uh, Bill and Roger about this particular service, yeah. AWS RoboMaker. So the announcement has just taken place and we are joined by the two people making the announcement, Roger Barger, who is the uh, general manager of AWS RoboMaker, which we can now say welcome, Roger. Hi, yeah. everyone. And Bill Vass. Bill, introduce yourself. Okay. Uh, so our, our team has all of the storage, automation, and uh, uh, monitoring systems across AWS. So it's a, along with streaming and a whole bunch of other things. But very excited to be here. Fantastic. Welcome to the podcast. And, and Roger, particularly welcome to you because you've been a guest on the podcast in the past. Mm -hmm. So we're great, very excited to have you uh, straight after the launch. So this is a pretty exciting new service for yeah. our customers. What is it? <laughs> um, so RoboMaker is targeted at how can we accelerate robotics application development? I mean, robots have such great potential. We see it within our company on how we use robotics. We see our customers trying to use robotics, and they have a lot of challenges they have to address. So we've designed RoboMaker to streamline the development of robotics applications so customers can focus on just the magic software they need to write to make their robots special. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. So it's all based on the open source ROS. Uh, robotics environment 
And just by downloading the RoboMaker code, you automatically get Lex and Poly and Recognition and Kinesis Video and LiDAR and Radar and all those kinds of things. So you can download and get running with one of the apps and just do voice commands the next immediately on your robot, and it'll so let's let's, let's talk about ROS and and firstly is it is it ROS is it ROS is it ROS what's the it, what's the agreed it, it, pronunciation it, it is ROS it's ROS, ROS. It's okay ROS. so we've extended ROS which yes. is an open source tool to add a whole lot of integrations that provide some pretty interesting things for customers I think right. mm -hmm. uh, Bill you were talking about some of those use cases we see where do yeah. you see it fitting. Well, where, where, where do I see it fitting? Yeah, uh, yeah. So so it's a broad range of things. So what we saw out there, as I mentioned in my talk, is that there's a bunch of people developing things that sense, compute, and actuate. And it could be in a car engine. It can be on a SCADA system. It can be in a washing machine or a dryer. Or it can be in a robot or an autonomous system or a driverless car. It's a pretty broad range of things where those three things happen over and over and over again. So what you'd like to be able to do is to, for example, do 9 million miles an hour of testing of a driverless car rather than driving it 9 yeah. million miles for years, yeah. right? Uh, and so the ability to spawn and do advanced simulation was a really important part that Roger and his team worked on. Uh, so you can tremendously accelerate that. Yeah, let's dive into that, Roger, because mm -hmm. the concept of a digital twin. Right. Talk us through that. Yeah. So, I mean... I think I'm going to talk about simulation first. Yeah, I just, it's incredibly important. Um, one of the one of the projects I've seen that's using ROS right now um, is they're actually preparing to put a robot on the space station. You can't test a, the space station here on Earth. <laughs> you have to build a simulation that actually has 0.1 gravity and actually test your application and test your robot there. And then again, there's hundreds of circumstances, thousands that they have to prepare for and test their robot to make sure they're not going to endanger the lives of the, of the astronauts who are on the space station. So again, simulation is sometimes the only way you're going to be able to accomplish this and have confidence that your application is going to work correctly under all possible conditions. Most companies don't have access to that kind of compute power. And yeah. when they do, they only need it every quarter. This is an ideal application for a cloud. So tell us about the developer experience. I mean, if, if ever there was something that's kind of built for builders, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this yeah. has got to be the service. And it's and I'm going to get Jeff to give us some insights soon about the hands-on he did with the service. Sure. But, but tell us what, as a, as, a, as a person who wants to get into robotics, et cetera, or use it on an industrial scale, yes. what does this service mean? What do, what do you do? Yeah. And this, this actually starts with why the value of ROS. ROS has been actually used by the academic community and startups and, and um, robots that are actually in production. And so as a result, the ecosystem has thousands of developers contributing to it. And so if I wanted to build a robotic application and I have a particular sensor in mind or a particular actuator that's actually going to move my robot, odds are I'm going to find a software package that's in the ecosystem that I can borrow to start with my robot. And robotic developers are ruthless in terms of actually reusing and then later questioning if they might use a better part. So that's why ROS was so important to us, is that developers can take advantage of this ecosystem and then focus all of their work on the unique code that they need to write to add that unique behavior to the robot, which is going to make it special. So again, tapping into that ecosystem and contributing back to it as well. So again, the developer experience to get this back to where you started the question is really choosing my operating system, looking at what ROS packages are look suitable for the, for the sensors I have and the actuators I'm going to choose, and then focusing on writing my code and then starting to test end-to-end. -end. And testing is incremental. I might test the ROS package to make the actuator. Is, is the sensor getting all the data the way I want it? Is the actuator responding? I'll test my application out end-to-end. -end. When I'm confident about that, then I'll try different scenarios which I'd like to run in parallel. 
and then I'm ready to actually deploy into action. But it's highly iterative. Reuse is a very big deal here. Yeah, and I think one of the things exciting to me is the whole development environment is built around Cloud9. And so what you can do is you can bring your code up in Cloud9, you can bring up the simulator with the, the, say, your robot moving around a room, uh, and then gives you sort of the eye of God of where the robot is, and then you can log into the robot and see the robot sensors. Like, you can see Kinesis video, you can Mm. see what it would see, all those kinds of things. At the same time, you've got CloudWatch logs showing you everything that's happening. You've got a Cloud9 with your code and all the stuff in real time that's happening, and you can change it all in real time right there, and it changes it on the robot. And after you've done your simulations and you're happy, you click a button, and you can deploy it across thousands of robots if you want, and it's all done with green grass and IoT. And you could do things like we do on the cloud, where you say do 10% at a time, and if you have a problem, roll back. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. And you could never do that before. So this is really short- shortening that iteration cycle right. around, around development. Yeah. Jeff, what was your experience? So I was really, uh, had a great time with RoboMaker just putting the blog post together. The thing that I love about robotics and that is both um, the, the thrill and the, the challenging part is there's just so many different technologies and moving pieces, sometimes literally moving pieces that need to come together to make a, a robot work. And it, it was neat to be able to have this effectively high-level view in RoboMaker and say, well, here's the here's the simulation and here's the simulation jobs I can create. I can start those jobs running. I can I can look down the God's eye view as, as Bill described. I can see the robot wandering around through the simulated environment. I can look from the robot's eyes. I can see, I can inspect the code. I can see the parameters. I can see what's uh, the interaction with AWS and all the different things that you need to think about and worry about and monitor and inspect, you can see those all within a, a single console and you can you can get your, your brain around all the different parts very, very easily. And then press a button and it's out on your robots. Yeah. Which is, which is, that's the thing that at, amazes at, me most. At scale as well, yeah, which at is scale, interesting. Yeah. I think, Roger, one of the things the team worked on really hard is around things like security and authentication. Yeah. Those, yes. those really enterprise-grade things that once you're deploying robots in an industrial scale, you have to think about. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, we like to think about one of the biggest contributions we're making here is bringing the power and security of the AWS cloud to robotics. It's been sorely needed for a long time. Again, Ross was built for academic research. Um, they didn't have the time or the focus on security, so this is something that we've stepped up for, even for Ross 2. We're focusing on adding security, performance improvements as well, because Ross 2 is really about building a performance-grade version of Ross. You can almost think of it as Linux for robots. It's a great, yeah. great example, and uh, I mean, uh, I for one welcome our new robotic overlords, uh, which is a vague <laughs> Simpsons reference there. <laughs> but um, tell me, in all seriousness, did the team build some and race them against each other? Was that like testing this service had to be fun? Yeah. Like, there's some cool things you get to do here. Yeah. We have lots of fun robots in our team. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, and the, and the team love it. I've never. We've had an incredibly energized and, and, and active engineering team because they're excited about what they're building and we think we're going to change how robotics applications get built in the future. So there's lots of robots running around our offices and, right and, now. And also we have the, all these great customers. We have GTRI using it on their drones and swarms of drones. We have uh, NASA using it on their rover. We've got the healthcare robots. We've got FIRST Robotics. We've got uh, we've got the Stanley, Black, uh, Stanley and Black and Decker and many, many colleges and universities already signed up. How many, Roger? So we are at present we have have 17 universities who are going to use RoboMaker for education and research purposes. We also have a partnership with FIRST Robotics. 
First Robotics is a wonderful organization. They make accessible, hands-on training of robots for students of all and learners of all ages. Um, as Don, the president of First, told me, this isn't about about youth making robots. It's about robots making future science and technology leaders. So mm. we're really excited about that part of our program. And then we have a bunch of enterprise companies that are interested in using it for our uh, command and control systems, automation, shop floor automation, manufacturing systems, appliances, even vending machines, all sorts of things. So we can see it sort of expanding to, again, anything that uh, senses, computes, and actuates, not just you know what you would traditionally think of as a robot. It's a very exciting. And Roger, if uh, our listeners want to get started, what's the best place to start? Like, is there a getting started guide on the newly launched AWS yeah. RoboMaker page, so, or what's yeah, the go? Thanks for asking that question, because we put um, a, a, a good investment in, in building sample applications. Today, TurtleBot is the most widely used robot in education and in research. They're readily available, they're affordable, and we've built a library of sample applications that work on a TurtleBot. So you can actually go to the aws.amazon.com slash RoboMaker, you can provision your workspace and your development environment. You'll see the sample applications. And even if you don't yet have a TurtleBot, you can actually simulate it and watch your TurtleBot move around in the world with the eye of God, see it working. And if you do happen to have a TurtleBot, which most schools do, you can actually install the software and actually see your TurtleBot execute your program, which is a great feedback loop to get started within the first half day. So this TurtleBot is kind of the uh, equivalent of Logo back in the 80s, which had the turtle. So uh, it's kind of a callback. Everything old is new again. Yes. It's a very exciting time to be building. And really there's a good. bunch of sample apps out there as well, right? Yeah. They're, they're Most of them are written around the turtle button. We're actually yeah. going to be releasing more sample applications later this week as new yeah. service announcements are made. Right, it's an right. exciting space to be in. Yeah, there'll be a bunch of new service announcements that, that integrate in with RoboMaker, which is really exciting yes. and I'm, that I'm, I'm guessing, looking forward to. I'm guessing the team want lots of feedback too from uh, customers absolutely. about what they want to see next. Yeah. Abs absolutely. In fact, we have a faculty member who's getting prepared to teach her course in robotics with RoboMaker. We look forward to getting that feedback. We're excited about the opportunity to learn and iterate from our customers. This is day one. It is. It is indeed. Well, thank you so much for coming on uh, the program, Roger. Thank you. And thank you, Bill. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Likewise. And Jeff, it's been great to uh, do this live together. It's yeah. been a total blast. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. We'll be uh, producing episodes all week. And until next time, and potentially with your robot, keep on building.